Uh, so, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 4, and I'm going to read starting in verse number 17. The scripture says, uh, well, let's, let's, let's look at 16 first. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, and I'm going to start in verse 16, because I think it'll just make more sense. For which cause we faint not, uh, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the, and here's an explanation of that. For the things which are uh, seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's go right into chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, that is our bodies, we have a building of God in house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed Upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan. Being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed. But clothed upon. That mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the self same thing is God who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are home, uh, at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, uh, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. That's what Pastor Malcolm is doing in Atlanta. Wherefore we labor. He's working hard, not only here, but also everywhere else God has given him a sphere of influence. And there's a reason he wants to be accepted of God. He wants to please God. And we should want that as well. One more verse, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you for this opportunity to share this word tonight, your word. I pray you'd make it special I pray you give me clarity of thought. Help me to remember those things that I've studied. Help me to say everything I should, nothing I shouldn't. Be with Pastor Malcolm as he drives back tonight and finishes up what he's doing for your glory. 
And I pray you bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for being patient and and standing with me. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Travis Sharp. I'm the uh, director of Unsheltered International and um, longtime members here and uh, get to fill in from time to time, so I'm excited about it tonight. And welcome everybody at Fairview. Thank you for being with us and being in your place. You know... These verses, starting in chapter 4, in verses uh, 16, 17, and 18, and going all the way down to verse 10 of chapter 5, it's talking about eternal things versus temporary or temporal things. It's talking about, you could say, the afterlife. It's talking about uh, the fact that what we see here with these physical eyes is not all there is to life. Somebody say amen right there. Those of us who God has saved and opened our eyes so that we can see spiritual things... We have the great privilege of understanding that there's way more to life than the stuff on earth. There's way more to to, to, uh, our interactions and our relationships and our, 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 um, our comings and goings than luck or chance or happenstance, or things of that nature. We know that there is a God in heaven who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's not only uh, the creator of it all, He is the sustainer of it all, and He's in charge of it all. And we know that. The problem is, we don't always act like we know that. We don't always live our life out with that knowledge front and center of our heart and mind. And I think that's one of the driving forces, especially of verses 17 and 18. 18. Verse 17, well, verse 18 says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen, you see this word over and over, looking, seeing. How many of you know that our eyesight is vital? Amen. I would ask you to pray for my mama who lives in in Fort Pierce, Florida, where me and uh, Pastor Malcolm are from. My mama has uh, uh, glaucoma and different challenges with her eyesight, so she has to have a surgery on her left eye on February the 1st. And so uh, for, for, for many months now, her eyesight in the left eye is just... Uh, Getting worse and worse and worse and worse. She told me the other day, she said, I'm blind in one eye, can't see out of the other. 
And, um, but, but she, we talk every day and, and I'll say, mama, how's your eyes? And, and she'll say, it's hard. I can't watch you when you're preaching on the, on the live stream good. Or she'll say, I can't see when you text me. And so our eyesight affects everything we do. Just like that, our spiritual eyesight affects everything we do. Maybe I've told you this before, maybe not, but I was an evil brother when I was young. And I mean that. It's it, it, like, it, I ain't even joking. My poor sister, me and her, uh, uh, you may as well took two Tomcats and, uh, or, or, and tied your tails together and put them over a chain link fence. That's how we fought. And it was bad. And it was real bad if she got a holt of me. Y'all know that word, holt? If she ever gets, because she, she was older than me, she was always bigger than me, and if she caught me, it was game over for me. And she did catch me a couple times. But one time, uh, bless her heart, my, my, I was about 12, 13 years, 12 years old, I guess, something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe 12, 13. And anyway, my mama kept a can of mace uh, on, our, on the top of the refrigerator. And, and it was for things like intruders. <laughs> well... One day after school, before Mama got home from work, I got curious about that can of mace. And so I climbed up there. I got me a chair and got up there on top of that refrigerator and just started inspecting it and checking it out and started messing with my sister who was across the living room watching TV. I'd say, hey, Stacy, look, (laughs) you know, and just kidding and whatever. Well, one of them times... Out of meanness, pure meanness, I just hammered down on that can of mace. I was certain it wouldn't make it that far anyway. I was wrong. I hit her. I'm a pretty good shot. I hit her right between the eyes and she went to squalling. She went to screaming. She went to lots of other things. And I hit the back door of that duplex running. Don't kill me, you know. And uh, I came back about a half hour later and she's still washing her eyes out. Her eyes are red, puffy, swollen. I mean, just like on cops. It was like the real thing. It, It works, folks. It works. I can remember begging her. Don't tell mama. Don't tell mama. I'll do the dishes every night. I'll do your chore. I'll do whatever. And, uh, I don't know that she ever told mama. She was a lot better sister than I was brother. My point being, she and I both found out real quick that when something happens to your eyesight, it's bad news. (laughs) Every Christian here tonight, Every one of us, youngest to oldest, should keep their eyes on eternity. Every one of us. We get so sidetracked. And what does it mean to get sidetracked? 
It means that we take our focus off of what God would have our focus to be on. And I promise you this, what God wants us honed in on, looking at, seeing, if you could say it like that, is not the fleeting things of this life. It are, or it is eternity. So, there's some benefits that are listed in these verses that if we'll keep our eyes on eternity, uh, we'll find these benefits. Let me give you benefit number one. Keeping our eyes on eternity changes our perspective. Keeping our eyes on eternity will change our perspective. Now, perspective is simply how we see a situation. Am I right about that? It's how we perceive it. It's how we look at things. And I'm going to tell you, and you know this, when, when we are walking closely with God, we, see, we tend to see the things going on in our life in, in, in one certain kind of light. When we are flirting with the world and closing our Bibles and uninvolved in a, a close walk with God we tend to see those same things in a very different way. To put it plain and simple, things that will not crush a a, a Christian that has a close walk with God will tend to crush a worldly Christian that ain't talked to God all week. Is that a fair enough assessment? So keeping our eyes on eternity, it it can change. It can literally change the way we see everything. Let me give you a couple uh, sub-points under here. Number one, how we see trouble changes. This is such a cool point right here. And I'm telling you, uh, uh, it it has ministered to me uh, just day in and day out when I first saw this. And if if you'll, and we're not going to read it right now, but if you go home or whatever and just do a casual reading of all of chapter 4, you'll see that the Apostle Paul, who is the author and, and, and the one that's, He's talking about himself here. He talks in, oh, I don't know, I guess about uh, uh, verse 6, 7, 8, on down through verse 16, about a lot of his problems in the gospel ministry. A lot of the challenges that he and his companions in labor faced. You can read about a lot of those in the book of Acts. He, for instance, he talks about how uh, in, in, in verse 8, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, 
but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but not destroyed. What does cast down mean there? Well, it could, be, it could mean a couple things. One thing I personally believe that's referring to, he, he got depressed some. Did not the psalmist say, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? I can't think of the address for that one, but you can, you can search that later. Uh, he battled depression. He battled uh, the weight of the ministry. He battled literal, physical persecution. Assaults on his own body. Uh, he had friends that were literally killed. He also had his past life that haunted him because of his former life and his involvement in persecuting who, would, who is now his brothers and sisters. Now here's the thing. When you come to verse 17, here's what he says. About that. For our light affliction. Now we need to let that sink in a minute. He just described it's like hell on earth. He gave all these details. And there's other places in Corinthians you can see even more details. Now he's going to talk about it. And he says... He describes it as being their light affliction. If it was me, I'd be like, them jokers beat me. They did, they threw me in, they didn't have no cause. I mean, I'd be literally freaking out. I wouldn't describe it as my light affliction. But you see, His eyes were on eternity. Let me me help us with something. If my eyes, and by this, listen to me, I mean my focus, my everything. If my eyes are on my money, I'm going to be tore out the frame. When there's more month than there is money. If my eyes are on my worldly possessions. And one of them possessions breaks or is stolen. Please don't nobody come steal my stuff tonight because of this. If if I'm all about my stuff and something happens to one of my stuffs. I'm going to have a meltdown. Like you see every day on social media, people melting down. You want to have some fun? I'm going to give you a a homework assignment. (laughs) Well, just (laughs) go to any news outlet's uh, social media account and, and read the comments. And people go 
crazy, Joy, over stuff that, that, that we ought to just be like, oh, man, shoot. Okay, where are we, what are we talking about at church tonight, y'all? But we live in a society where a society where people melt down. You ever stopped long enough and to think why? Because that's what they got. That and if they have more than that, they sure aren't focused on the more than that. And so benefit number one of keeping our eyes on eternity is that it changes our perspective. How Paul, the apostle, saw the, the, the trouble in his life was changed because of what he was truly focused on. I mean, he, well, let, let's just read it. I told you it was, there was some stuff in other places. Here, I got it listed. 2 Corinthians 11. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. That means beatings across the back, by the way. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered, suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I spent in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils uh, 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 in the sea. In other words, everywhere he went, it was hard. And, And you get the picture. Here's the point. Though the sufferings were significant, they had a ministry in this life to magnify or enhance the beauty of glory. Now listen, this is so cool. He says over here, uh, let's see, over where? Uh, Over here in verse 17. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I can't do that part of that verse justice, but I'll try. Is there anybody ever here in here that's ever started a small business? Raise your hand. A small business. Okay. Uh Anybody that ever started one and actually made some money? Raise your hand. It, it, it got successful or whatever? Okay. Uh, did anybody that hired some employees later on down the road to work in that business? Okay. So you'll get what I mean here. Did overtime and whatever, hiring different people and whatever, did the business, the small business, your small business, did it seem to mean more to the employees you hired or to you yourself? You're saying me. That's right. Anybody else would raise your hand and say, well, it obviously meant more to me than the people that just worked there. Yeah. Why? Because you're the one that 
took the risk. Maybe you put up a bunch of money. Uh, if it didn't work out, you was homeless, <laughs> right? Hungry, maybe. Lost your savings. You worked more hours than anybody to get it off the ground, and probably even after it was off the ground, you worked more hours. If it failed, it was all on you, and they could just go get some other job. So that small business, when you sat back and and see the success, you could say, man, boy, look what God's done here. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe when the employee that just punches the clock or whatever in your business, they never do that. Probably. Now they might say, thank you, Jesus, for a job. But they're not thanking Jesus for that actual business the way you do. So that business works in you a far more exceeding weight of gladness and and, and joy, and if I can use this loosely, glory. The Apostle Paul, all of that stuff in his life, the the sacrifices, the, the, the times he was cursed, the time he was put in prisons, the time he was put in jail, all of that, that happened to him for one reason only. He was invested lock, stock, and barrel into the ministry of the gospel. Therefore, those troubles worked in his life and heart a far more exceeding weight of glory. It made it more worth it. You see, somebody whose eyes are not on eternity they might experience less difficulty in their life, but they're not going to experience any of the glory. Somebody needs to say amen right there. And what Paul is saying here is, it's light affliction compared to the glory God has allowed me to bring Him in my life. And if you really love God, you really want God to get all the glory. So the way he saw it all changed. The way he saw trouble literally changed. Did the trouble change? No. Did his reception of the trouble change? Yes. Make sense? Preacher, I don't know why. Why should I go around and and just think about heaven? Because all the hell you have to live through here on earth will make sense then. Amen? Sub point number two under this. The first one was how we see trouble changes. The second subpoint here is how we see time changes. How we see time. So here's what Paul said. He said uh, in verse 17 again, For our light affliction, we just covered that. Then he says, Which is but for a 
a moment. Now, naturally looking at this, Mr. Harold, that don't make sense to the natural man. Uh, You ever been sitting around work and it's like, you look at the clock and you're like, oh, is this day ever going to end? I did that this morning right up here in my office at like 10 (laughs) a.m. Tara looked at me and she's like, are you serious? (laughs) And I'm like, I guess so. You ever sit at work and, and, and you have a cold or you have, maybe you got the flu and now you can't tell nobody if you do now because it's, but, but you're sick. You, you just don't feel good. Doesn't that day drag out even more? Yeah, it does, right? So Paul's time on earth should have seemed to him like it was never going to end. I spent all this time in jail. I spent all this time bruised. I spent all this time uh, captive. Spent all this time. I'm trying to plant this church, but I can't even get there because I, I got to heal for three months before I can make the journey in this ship. Can you imagine Paul's work day? How long it must have felt? Well, let's, but you read what he said about it, but for a moment. <laughs> Are you catching that? For our light affliction, which is, but for a moment. He, the, the way that, that, that this man of God saw time was very different than the way I was seeing time this morning in, in my office. He was locked in on the glory of God. He was focused on the the next mission. He was focused on the next church plant. And all he knew was, times are running out. It's but for a moment. We don't have much time. So, the literal... Clock didn't change. But how he perceived that time certainly was different than the average man or woman. And that's what will happen in my life and your life as we get more spiritual centered, more God focused, as we get our eyes on eternity. It'll seem like this life is but for a moment. In light of all eternity, his time on earth was only a moment. Isn't that what James 4, 14 tells us? For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Somebody told me one time, they said, Travis... Son, you ain't as big a deal you think you are. A hundred years from now, you know, it, your life, even quicker than that, will just vanish away. And I was like, well, thanks for the encouragement. God bless you. 
My father-in-law used to look at me and everyone else that came into church that he would meet. He was a deacon. He, he, he was an usher. He was a model usher. And he would look at a first-time attender, shake their hand, look them straight in the eyeballs and say, you ain't nothing. And everybody loved Jerry McFalls. Am I telling it right? Hunter and Sarah? That's exactly what I didn't care if the who the Pope walked in there. He'd say, Mr. Pope, you ain't nothing. Or the president. See, Jerry, he, he, he knew that our lifespan was short. Our time on earth is short. Even if we make a big dent, we're going to be gone soon. In light of eternity... This life is short. This life is, is little. This life is limited. So why are we putting our eggs in this, all of our eggs in this life's basket? Now I'm a big advocate of taking care of your business. Amen. Uh, it, we, the scripture says take care of your family. If you don't, you're worse than an infidel, an unbeliever. Uh, the scripture tells us, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, right? So I'm a big advocate of that because God's a big advocate of that. But I'm not a big advocate of being like the man in the scripture that got his, 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 his farm or his crops kept increasing. And he, he got so much wealth, he looked around and he said, I ain't got nowhere to put it. What do I do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down these little barns and build bigger barns. Yep. Well, what, what God said about what Jesus said about him, he called him a fool. He said, Thou fool, tonight wilt thou soul be required of thee. Then whose things shall those be? In other words, his eyes were on earth, not eternity. I'm trying to encourage us tonight, Temple Baptist uh, uh, Church family here and at Fairview, to let's put our eyes on eternity and, and let's allow that to change our perspective. Because I guarantee you this, life ain't getting no better. But our perspective about it sure can. Let me ask you this before I move on. How are you looking at your life? And if you're not sure how to answer that, let me help you. What have you been fussing about? What have you been complaining to your wife about? What have you, wives, what have you been complaining to your husband about? Have you been complaining that I got to work so many hours, I can't go soul winning enough? No. Nobody in here has complained about that, I bet. Or have you complained something like this? I don't know what my boss is thinking. He's a, he's a jerk. Gotta, you see what I'm saying? What I'm literally telling you is, when we get our eyes off the jerk and get them on Jesus, the jerk won't be so much of a jerk. I don't know how to make it any plainer than that. All right, let's go. Number two. Benefit number two. Keeping our eyes on eternity not only changes our perspective, but it also challenges our priorities. 
It challenges our priorities. In other words, it's awful hard to, to have two... Co- to, to, you, you can't have an on-fire Christian whose eyes are, are, are on eternity who also has all our priorities out of whack. That, that just don't... That's like oil and water. You follow me there? So, so when we begin to really get our eyes on eternity, and by that I mean focus on Christ, focus on the Scripture, focus on, on the mission God's given us, walk with God, it challenges our priorities. It will cause us to stop and think. You, you see, you're so busy living life and paying the bills and doing the rat race. When's the last time you stopped and meditated and just prayed a little bit and said, God, help me to see clearly? All this stuff is just going to be gone. It's going to be gone. Why does keeping our eyes on eternity challenge our priorities? Number one, because it forces us to consider virtue. It forces us to consider virtue. Uh, A good definition for virtue is very simply uh, moral goodness. Moral goodness. And and you don't even have to be a Christian to, to have some moral goodness, right? I mean, you can... You can be a, a, a good taxpayer. You can be a good community citizen and all that. Uh, but it is surprising how many, how many Christians uh, don't even consider moral goodness. I think preacher kind of covered that pretty good Sunday. I'm not going to rehash this point too much. <laughs> we'll let the, the big dog handle that, Amen. And if you don't know, Preacher Malcolm's the big dog. <laughs> but here's what happens. You, let's see, I think I wrote it down. It's hard to continue in sin when we have a correct view of eternity. If you are, or me, if any of us, are living in continual habitual sin... Our eyes are not on eternity. They're just not. They're not. We're focused in primarily on something else, if that's the case. Now, you can have your eyes on eternity and be battling daily some sin. That's not only possible, but probable. So I'm not saying that if you just get your eyes on eternity, sin will evade you. You'll never have to be tempted again. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you will fight tooth and nail every day. You'll be depressed. Uh, uh, Satan will win some rounds. But you're going to somehow pick yourself up and go back to slugging again because your eyes are on eternity and God is your helper. That, that's, that's, I think I just described the, the, the Christian life, actually. It means you care. I used to tell this lesson to the men and women at, at, the, at the rescue mission in Augusta when I was there. It, it, listen, the sign of, of a Christian is they're fighting hell up to about right here. And they're swinging. 
They're fighting. They're crying over it. They're broken about it. They're, they're getting help about it. They, it. It's a real struggle. The sign somebody has probably lost is when they're doing it and they're just like, ah. <laughs> and it don't bother them. Are you with me right there? So, keeping our eyes on eternity, it challenges our parties because it forces us to consider virtue and then because it forces us to consider value. Value. So here's some nuts and bolts of this right here. The word temporal, which is uh, in verse 18... Temporal just means measured or limited by time or by this life or this state of things. It comes from temporary. That's what temporal means. It means having limited existence opposed to eternal. So that's that's what temporal is in this verse. The word eternal means without beginning or end of existence. And when we really get that in our heart, and when we're really focused in on those eternal things that last, rather than them temporal things that fade away, We then, in our heart, mind, and everything, in our daily actions, we then are forced to consider what has true value and what does not have true value. How many of you parents that have older children now, you you know this very well. You saw your adult kids do do something, and you're like, and I'm not talking about sin, I'm just talking about an unsmart thing. Is unsmart a a word? (laughs) Willie G said, yeah. He knew exactly what I meant. And then you're thinking, oh, you're 20. You don't need a $75,000 truck and an $800 a month payment on it. Or however much that would be. Huh? $1,500? Jesus. And so, the reason y'all think about it different, like that 20-year-old might be like, hot dog, got me a job, got me, woo, look at this whip right here. Y'all know what that, they don't know what that means right there, honey. <laughs> to them, that's valuable. But to you as the older, wiser parent, maybe you've had bankruptcy in the past, maybe you've had debt and you finally got it paid off, you understand that's not as valuable as you think it is. Right. What's really valuable is a savings account, a retirement account, and not freaking out when the $1,500 a month truck payment comes in from Ford Motor Company or whoever. So you see things differently than them. So, so, so our eyes on eternity 
are like the eyes of that parent. We've been forced through life, through the hardships, to consider what's valuable and what's not valuable. And another example of that. So in our homeless ministry, unsheltered, we, every single week, we're helping people here in Coleman. I don't know if you knew this or not. We're building the village, and it's going to help. It's going to be life-changing for people. It's going to be awesome. But for years and years and years, every week, the, the, the people that work in our ministry are changing lives every day. Every, every day. Uh, uh, Sarah works in our ministry. Hunter helps out in our ministry. Tim Klein is an outreach specialist. Jason might be here somewhere. He's an outreach specialist. we got Tara Phil, y'all. We, we've got Miss Deb Coffey. And all these people that work with Unsheltered are, are investing in the lives of people who are homeless or at risk or, or, or in other crisis. And here's what we do. We sit around the table every Wednesday morning at our staff meeting and we talk about the, sit- the situation. And, and we go through the list of all the people and we talk about what should we do. How should we help them? And we always look at how will we help them the best? What's the best way for us to help them? So, for example, the average person might say, well, we'll put them in a hotel. And we do plenty of that stuff. We do that. Almost every week, we got somebody in some hotel somewhere in the process of helping them. But we can spend $400 a week for that motel out of the donations that the churches give us and stuff. Or we can work real hard and try to get them in some more permanent housing and spend that same $400 to maybe pay their deposit for them or or whatever. Because if we can get that happening then there's more value because they're going to be housed longer instead of just checking out. And now what? So you see what I mean? So because we work with people every day who are in crisis and our budget is limited, it's not as much as I wish. I wish it was unlimited, but it is limited. Because of that, Tim, am I right? It forces us to say, what's the best for them? Okay, if we can only do one thing, should we put them in that motel or should we pay that deposit? It's a no-brainer, right? Pay the deposit. If they have to sleep in their car one more week in order to get in the house, it's worth it to sleep in the car one more week. Not that we want anybody to sleep in their car. But it would be worth it because they can be housed for a long time. So when we keep our eyes on eternity, we're forced to say, okay, what... What, what is valuable to God? And we'll quickly learn that God's given us all things to enjoy. And God's not mad because we have possessions, right? God's not mad because we have a, 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 a boat or whatever. Uh, I don't know, an extra house. That, that, God's not mad about that. Unless He told you don't do that and you said, ah, I'm going to do it anyway, and then maybe He's mad. But that's not, God's not mad about that. Okay, What God might have a problem with 
is when we consider all that, and that holds the greatest value to us. And eternity and the things of God hold little value. God's mad about that. (laughs) So, So it forces us to consider virtue. It forces us to consider value. Um, are your priorities consistent with eternal value? I don't, according to Tara, or my secretary, not many people use checkbooks anymore. Although I just ordered a brand new one today. (laughs) But when I first got in church in the 90s, big Malcolm, uh, 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 Malcolm Sr., he would preach and he'd say, show me your checkbook and I'll show you your priorities. A lot of truth in that right there. Amen? Let me give you this last one. The third benefit of keeping our eyes on eternity is that keeping our eyes on eternity commands our perseverance. Our perseverance. If you can't spell that, it's on the screen. I had to use spell check when I was doing this. Perseverance means persistence in anything undertaken. Continued pursuit or prosecution of any business or enterprise begun. So, keeping our eyes on eternity commands our perseverance because of what we know. And because of what we expect, let's look at what we know. We know that our current bodies are only a temporary dwelling for our soul. That's the context of chapter 5, the first few verses that we read, okay? Our, our, Our current bodies are only temporary dwelling for our soul. Because of the temporary nature of our earthly bodies... They are plagued with problems. The scripture says in verse 2 of chapter 5, For in this we groan. In what? In our earthly bodies. We groan. The word groan means exactly what you think it means. It means to breathe with a deep murmuring sound. To utter a mournful, mournful voice as in pain or sorrow. For in this we groan. The child of God whose eyes are on eternity, they're not groaning because they're so sad that they, don't, they can't keep up with the Joneses. They're groaning because they know life is temporary. Life is short. Life is full of trouble. And they're yearning for eternity. Where they will really be at home. Amen? Amen. Suffering is real. Considering eternity doesn't mean that suffering is not real. It simply means that suffering is not all. Help me out here now. Somebody say amen. It's not that suffering isn't real. 
It's just that that's not all there is to it. That's not the end of the story. (laughs) There's more to it. Yes, there's suffering. Yes, it's hard. But yes, God is good. Yes, we have a home awaiting for us. Yes, we'll be in His presence forever and ever and ever. Yes, we'll cast our crowns down at His feet. Yes, we'll see Him face to face. Yes, we'll be in eternity with the God we love. Suffering is not all there is to it. There's more. My goodness, there's more. So, our perseverance is commanded because of what we know. Christian, don't quit now. We're almost at the finish line. This race is almost won. We're almost at the finish line. There's those that have gone before us and they've suffered too, but they made it to the finish line. Don't you dare quit now. Don't you dare stop now. Don't you dare get out of the struggle now. I mean, listen, live your life for the glory of God. Fight hell by the half acre if you have to, but try, try, try. Get up in the morning, read that Bible, try again. Keep your eyes on eternity because of what we know. Because of what we know. We're not ignorant. We know these things. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Listen, my goodness. I wanna, I'm trying to get it out like I feel it, but it, it's just I'm doing the best I can. Amen. Because of what we know, but then because of what we expect. Boy, this is cool right here, Willie. Look at chapter 5 and verse 8. What we expect. He said, we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. (laughs) Wherefore, because of this, we labor. That whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. What do we expect? (laughs) We expect one day soon to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. He said, we are confident. Well, let let me bring it home. Are you confident? Sometimes our lifestyle tells on us, doesn't it? It tells the whole world we ain't very confident. We don't believe this stuff. So, let me share one more thing with you. If you turn back to chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. Then in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, For which cause we faint not. Faint means to weaken, to become feeble, to be dejected, to be weary. 
Paul was trying his best to persevere because he knew there was more to it. And folks, I want you to know, there's more to it. You have a reason to wake up tomorrow. If you're unsure what that is, just wake up and put your eyes on eternity. And let God show you some more reasons. Amen?